So our text this evening is Christ is uh, Ephesians chapter five verse two, and our uh, the subject we're looking at is Christ our sacrifice. And walk in love, Paul says, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's our text. Now, world-renowned physicist Stephen Hawking died recently at the age of 76. Uh, Hawking, of course, is famous for his work on black holes and relativity. You can ask all the questions to Brother Rob about these things. Uh, his work, of course, his story is dramatized in that amazing award-winning film, The Theory of Everything. And when Hawking died, tributes after tributes just kept rolling in from people. They poured in for Hawking. And like every other death, uh, all the tributes reminded us just how sad it was to see Hawking die. That's why people give tribute. They, to remind us to express their sadness at Hawking's death. No one, if you are listening closely or you read any of those tributes, no one said the death of Hawkins itself was a wonderful thing. All the tributes said it was sad that he had died. All human deaths are like that. All human deaths are ugly and they bring sadness. Now, this is not a sermon for tomorrow. It's it's a sermon for this evening. All human deaths are ugly, except the death of Christ. Christians believe the death of Jesus is beautiful. And that is why we celebrate it every year. Easter is not a commemoration. It's a celebration of the death of Christ. And that is why... The death of Christ, the the cross itself, is a symbol of Christianity. The early church had a lot of choices to pick as a symbol for Christianity. They could have gone for the manger, which housed baby Jesus as a symbol of Christianity. They could have gone for that. Or perhaps they could have gone for the boat which carried Jesus from place to place. As you read the gospel, the boat is so central. Christ is always in the boat somewhere, going somewhere. They could have chosen that. Or perhaps they could have even gone for the tomb in which Christ was laid. Or since Christ ascended into heaven, they could have gone for a throne to symbolize what Christianity is all about. Our king is reigning. But they didn't. They chose the cross. They chose his crucifixion. A strange choice. Roman philosopher Cicero called the cross the most cruel and shameful of all punishments. Jewish historian Josephus refers to it as the most wretched of deaths. So why is the death of Jesus at the heart of Christianity? That is the question we are asking this Easter. It's a question we've been exploring in the morning. We explored in the morning. It's a question we're exploring this evening and we'll explore it next Sunday. The crucifixion of our Lord Jesus is like a beautiful diamond. You know, a diamond, you hold it up and you can look at it. It's beautiful from different sides. And the cross of Christ is like that. 
And the Bible uses many pictures to describe this beauty. This morning we looked at how the cross of Christ reconciles us to God. Well, the sermon was Jesus is our reconciler. Well, this evening we are looking at Jesus as our sacrifice. We are in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, as I said. And if you know a bit more about Ephesians, what Paul has been doing from chapter 1 is that he has been reminding that all followers of Jesus now have a new life as children of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoptions of sons. We are sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Paul says, you know, from the beginning that God has made us his children. And later on, he tells us something important. That being a child of God is a game changer. Chapter 5, verse 1. We're looking at verse 2. But chapter 5, verse 1 says this of Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Therefore, be imitators of God. As what? As beloved children of God. A boy is saying we must become outside who we already are inside. Inside, we are children of God now. But we must now reflect that in how we live. And what is the motive for doing that? Well, verse 2 is the motive. Verse 2 points us to the sacrificial death of Jesus as the motive for how we are to live. Let us look at verse 2 and see what it teaches us about the sacrifice of Christ. On the cross, being the motive, being the grounding of all Christian living. The first thing we learn from this verse about the sacrifice of Christ is that it is necessary. It is necessary for us. That is to say, we need the death of Jesus for us to be accepted by God forever. Notice twice in this verse, Paul uses the word us. And walk in love, he says, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Who's the us? Verse 1 is, tells us. Therefore, be imitators of God as what? As beloved children of God. The us of verse 2 are those who are beloved children of God in verse 1. But the Bible is clear. No one is born a child of God. We discussed that this morning. We are all born as spiritual rebels under the control of Satan and under the terrible punishment of God for our sins. Paul tells us that many times in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 to 3 says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all, all of us, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were what? By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And Paul repeats this point actually in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 18, which you can look at. 
The point is that, as we said this morning, ever since sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden, all human beings have become completely defiled, completely unholy, completely unclean before God. And we are now under the penalty of eternal death. Romans 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. The entire human race is headed for everlasting punishment. And the only way for us to have access to God is for us to pay the penalty for our sin. First, there's no access to God unless the penalty is paid. We need to make a sacrifice. Someone has to die in our place. But no human being can die for another human being because all human beings are sinners before God. So in the Old Testament, God gave us what we might call a temporary solution. Every year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest went in the temple and he sacrificed bulls and goats to pay for the sins of the people. But the solution was only temporary. Why? Because of what it says in Hebrews 10, verse 1 to 4. This is what Hebrews says. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. All that stuff in the Old Testament is inadequate. The writer to Hebrews goes on to say, otherwise... Would they not have been seized to be offered since the worshippers have once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But he goes on to say in verse 3, but in these sacrifices, in these Old Testament sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every day. All he did was remind them of their sins. Verse 4 says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Animals cannot pay for the sacrifice of human beings because the quality of life is different. We need a human sacrifice. What we need is a perfect human being who can be sacrificed before God for our sins. And Jesus, Paul says, is that perfect human being we've been waiting for. Back to Ephesians 5, verse 2. He says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul is saying, without the sacrifice of Christ, you cannot become a child of God. All roads to God start on the cross and nowhere else. But this raises a question, doesn't it? How can God allow Christ, who is innocent, to die for spiritual criminals? That does not seem very fair, does it? It doesn't seem very just. And of course the answer is God can't do it. He cannot even ask Christ to do it. It would be unfair. Unless, of course, Christ offers himself voluntarily to die for us. And that brings us to the second point Paul makes in this verse. The first point is the sacrifice of Christ is necessary for us. And the second point is that the sacrifice of Christ is voluntary by Christ. It is voluntary by Christ. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross for us was based purely on his unreserved 
unconditional, uninfluenced love for us. Look again at verse 2 there. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. In other words, Christ loved us before we reached out to him. And Christ expressed this amazing love by freely offering himself, giving himself up for us as a sacrifice. The word gave himself up for us communicates that it was voluntary. As Jesus himself testified in John 10, verse 17 to 18. Do you remember those words? It says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. But that raises a question. So Jesus did this voluntary, Really? Doesn't the Bible say that God the Father sent God the Son to come into the world and die for our sins? How is that voluntary? Well, the Bible also teaches us that God is three persons in one essence. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Though different persons have one will. We might say they lovingly think each other's thoughts. As the father is sending his son, the son is already offering himself to God. At the same time, it's beautiful, isn't it? As the father is thinking, imagine if you had a son like that. You haven't even mentioned, he's already doing it. That, that's how the Trinity works together. The father, the son, and the spirit. And because Christ is God the Son, he is in effect sending himself. As Stephen Shannock says, what Christ decreed as God, he executed as man. What Christ decreed as God, he executed as man. But this raises another question. Was Jesus not killed by criminals? I mean, how is that voluntary? Yes, we might say it was voluntary when he came, but was he voluntary at that moment? Was his death at the hands of God or sinners? The Bible again says both. Acts 2, verse 36 tells us, Peter preaches that great sermon. How does he conclude? Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Yes, humanly speaking, Christ did not ask in his humanity to be killed by crucifixion, even though he knew it would happen. And yet, as God, he planned his own death. We might ask another question. What about Gethsemane? Did Christ not pray to the Father to take the cup away? How is that him giving himself voluntarily to us in love? Our answer then is that if Jesus had not prayed for it to be removed, then we would be confident that he had no idea what he was in for. But he knew the horror that awaited him. And in his humanity, he rightly trembled at the thought of it. 
It was the most human thing for Jesus to pray for suffering and moral evil to be removed. But notice, even as he trembled at that evil, he submitted. Mark 14, verse 36 tells us, And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. As the writer of Hebrews reminds us, Jesus joyfully submitted. Hebrews 12 Verse 2 says this, that we are to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who what? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We might say with Stephen Shannock again, that what the father proposed, the father proposed not with more affection than the son entertained it with delight. The father proposed not with more affection than the son entertained it with delight. Simply put, we can be confident as we sit here this evening that Christ is our sacrifice. Why? Because he did not go to the cross kicking and screaming. He did it for us voluntarily. Don't miss this. This is vital. This is important because, you see, if the sacrifice of Christ was not voluntary, it would not be acceptable to God. It would be cruel and unjust to Christ. But it was voluntary. And thank God it was voluntary. Because God then accepted it for you and I. And that is one final important truth about the sacrifice of Christ. The final truth is that the sacrifice of Christ is acceptable to God. What a glorious thing this is. Paul describes the death of Christ as what? Look how he describes it. As a fragrant offering and sacrifice in verse 2. He says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In other words, it's almost like saying the sacrifice of Christ was like a sweet-smelling perfume to God. It was not a foul stench in the nostrils of God, but a wonderful perfume. In short, God looked at Christ's death and he was pleased at it. It was a beautiful sacrifice for him, for, for us in front of the Lord himself. It was acceptable to God. Why did God accept it? Because it met the standard. It met the standard. Now, we've already talked about one of the standards, right? The one of the standards is that Christ offered himself freely for us. That, it must be a free. We've also talked about the fact that Christ himself was what? Perfect. Okay, it comes into this word perfect. And he lives a perfect life because Peter reminds us, doesn't he? We've been going through Peter. Do you remember those verses from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22? It says this, He committed no sin, neither deceit was found in his mouth. Friends, we, we shouldn't just read that and glance over it. Let us understand that if Christ had sinned even once, even one evil thought, even just once, God would have rejected his sacrifice. But God, but Christ's God, 100%, in every sphere of life before God. And God accepted it at his death as 
a perfect sacrifice for us. But there's another reason why God accepted it. And it's in verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 5. Did you just read that? Don't miss it. And walk in love as Christ does. Did what? Loved us and gave himself up for us. Did you miss the word there? Key word in here is himself. Himself. Christ offered not part of himself, but the whole person. Christ offered his soul. His body, His spirit, Himself fully God, God the Son. Himself fully man. Jesus was sacrificed as the God-man. If Jesus was not fully God and fully man, His sacrifice would not have been accepted by God for us. It would have been totally inadequate. Why? Why? Because man faces an eternal punishment. The sacrifice must be eternal to pay for sin forever. So God cannot just create a new Adam. He couldn't do it. Even if God wanted to do it, it would be insufficient. A new Adam at best would only pay for one person and only for a moment. What we need is an eternal sacrifice for us. And the only one who is eternal is God. So in a way, to get out of jail, we need God to die. Because only God can pay an eternal sacrifice for us. But God cannot die. It's God. So God in his infinite wisdom has taken on human flesh to pay the price. You see, his divinity renders the body of Christ infinitely valuable. In Christ, we have the unrepresented human blood of Christ, perfumed by the divine, touched by the divine. We might even say that in Christ we see the blood of God shed for your sins on the cross. The blood of Christ has eternal value. And only on that basis, it is acceptable to God. The writer to the Hebrews says this in Hebrews 9, verse 11 to 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of his creation, he entered once By the way, what is a tent? That's a quiz for you. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of gods and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Immediately we are asking, how can it be eternal? He goes on. For if the blood of gods and and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, Sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more with the blood of Christ, who through who the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The author of the Hebrews is reminding us the eternal spirit, God himself has touched the blood of Christ as it were. He's perfumed it. And because it's been perfumed by the eternal, the eternality of God, it is able to pay the price for our sin. 
Do you see the wonder of the cross? Here we see that the death of Christ is like no other death in all human history. His blood truly washes away our sins forever. Friends, here is a sacrifice we desperately need because we are sinners. And Christ has offered it voluntarily to God for us. And God has accepted it. And this wonderful truth immediately tells us that all human beings must abandon any effort to earn our way to God. It is futile and foolish. It is futile because we can't make our way to God. It is foolish because we don't have to make our way to God. God has made his way, as the hymn says, where there seems to be no way. What we need to do is to bring ourselves before God and plead only the blood of Jesus to save us from sin. Nothing else will do. And when we do that, we can be guaranteed, because of the beauty of this sacrifice, because of how it's been acceptable before God, we can be guaranteed that God will forgive us and give us a life with him. Because there is nothing like the blood of Christ. And this is wonderful news for us who have already come to Christ. If you are trusting in Jesus this evening, let this truth remind you. Friends, don't get bored contemplating the death of Christ. It is a wonderful diamond. And our excitement over it says something about how we have been captured by our Lord. It says something about what we've understood has happened to us. Let this truth remind you that you have a wonderful Savior. This is how much Jesus loves you. Christ has been sacrificed for you. He has taken on your filth and sin and and he's done it willingly and perfectly, perfectly. He has died the death you deserve. You see, Jesus knew the burden of sin. He knew the full wrath of Calvary that was going to be unleashed on him. It was on him, as the theologians tell us, in, throughout his life, like a perpetual Gethsemane. Every moment, he knew he had been born crucified. And as he walked, he knew it knew this burden every day. And it would have been weighing and weighing and weighing on him. But yet he was doing it willingly. He did it willingly. He took on that death for us willingly. And he took on the wrath on the cross for us. Knowing the burden, he still came. He came for you. Jesus was willing to be abused, deformed, that you might be saved and glorified, that you might share in his divine nature, as Peter tells us. Such love for us, friends. Such love. Shannok says the love of Christ opened his breast to receive into his own heart the sharp edge of that sword which was directed against us. What he's saying is, you know, it's a sword has come to you and Jesus just opened it up like that. He says, hit me instead. You might put it in modern words to say Christ took the bullet for us willingly. Are you prone to doubt God? Do you sometimes feel the glass is half empty, I guess? Or half full, whichever, half empty. Are you looking at your life and you see only struggles with sin? Are you facing the struggle of difficult relationships? Are they weighing you down? 
Do you feel lonely? Do you worry about old age? I don't know what situation you find yourself this Easter. But whatever pressures you are facing, if you are trusting in Christ, Paul is reminding us, fix your eyes on Christ hanging there on the cross for your sin. Oh friends, in Christ, the floodgates of mercy are open for you and the fire of justice has now been confined in its flames. You are safe in Christ by the blood. There is no sin that you ever commit that is so great to eliminate the sacrifice that Jesus has paid for your sins. That's what Paul tells us in Romans 8, verse 33 to 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? who indeed is interceding for us. There is no longer any distance between you and God. If you're trusting in Jesus, the sacrifice has been paid. You are now with God in the very presence of the triune God. Now! And because you are in the presence of God, you must now grow to become more like Him. You can't help it! I mean, the cross compels us to grow. How can it not, if this is what Jesus has done for us, how can we not grow? So Paul is right, so we must be outside who already are inside. That's why he says in verse 1, Therefore be imitated of God as beloved children. How is the love? Verse 2 explains the love. So this evening, let this love of Christ fuel your love for others. If we are true followers of Jesus, we must allow Christ to be the template that helps us draw the love of God on the canvas of the world around us. You know, last Thursday at our Bible study on 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 to uh, verse 8 to 9, we talked about how we are to love others deeply. <coughs> Wonderful conversation. <coughs> And we reminded ourselves that loving others means forgiving one another. We also said loving others means we must show hospitality. Peter talks about that. That means offering our time, our money, our energy, our food, even our alms to other believers in a sacrificial way. As we discussed that, it seemed very hard, I think. There was general consensus. Beautiful truths, but this is hard. It's very hard. It seemed hard on Thursday to forgive those who want nothing to do with us. It felt hard to allow our lives to be the means of Christ's blessing to others sacrificially. Well, I hope that you've been thinking about what Christ has done for you this morning, reconciling you, you know, breaking that separation in your house, your house and his house, allowing you to come in. And so and I hope that you've thought about this evening what Christ has done, paying that eternal price. For your sins. I hope it's not so hard. As you think about those injunctions. How can we. Who have received so much. Sacrifice so little to others. It doesn't make sense. How can we. Who have been forgiven. Spend time. Worrying about. Mourning about those who have offended us. How can us who have received so much of this precious blood of Christ keep a record of wrongs against others? 
How can us who are so far away and have now been brought near by Christ who endured the perpetual Gethsemane and then dying on the cross for us, how can we not reach out to those on the fringe of church life and in our neighborhood? How can we who have been welcomed into heaven by his precious blood not welcome others into our homes? Unless we don't know Christ. Unless this glorious Savior is still alien to us. But we do know him. His blood has been shed for our sin. So let us go to Christ, our sacrifice for help. Let us gaze more clearly at the beauty of his cross. Because only then we will have strength to love us as Christ has loved us. The challenge we face is that we too often have taken the very cross that has saved us for granted. May the Lord help us, dear sister, to meditate more clearly on Christ, our sacrifice. Amen.